Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. First Samuel, I am pumped up about a new series that we're going to jump into, and uh, this has been a great study for me already. So kids, if you fill out that sheet and you take it to Children's Church next Sunday, uh, we'll make sure we have something special for you down there, like uh, pickled pig's feet or something like that that we'll give to you, so you can enjoy that. We'll make, excuse me, almost swallowed my uh, vitamin C drop. (laughs) That would have been bad. Uh, We'll make sure that it's fun and full of sugar so your parents will like that later on in the day for you. So, 1 Samuel. Now, 1 Samuel is a phenomenal book. We're going to have so much fun. It is going to be a journey. We're going to break this book up and uh, really dig into it. And I hope that you can be here as much as possible. If you ever miss a Sunday or you're serving, we do put these on our website and our, uh, uh, so you have an opportunity to listen to it. And I hope that you will because I think you're going to just really glean a whole lot out of it. I've already been learning a ton. And uh, I just scratched the surface, I know. So I want to give you a little bit of background of the whole book so you understand a little bit of the, the whole section of it. First Samuel is this book that's about, about transition, which you think about that as Christians, First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11 reminds us that we are, tri- we are sojourners. We are passing through this earth. We are in transition completely, and we can enjoy earth and what it has here. We can enjoy the blessings God gives, but we're never going to be completely comfortable here because this isn't home. And, and, and you see that in Samuel. You see this transition going on where they went on, on this amazing journey, some in some really dark valleys by their own choosing, and some in these amazing mountaintops that we see what God does. We see a, 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 a country or a nation, the Israelites, who had up until this time been a theocracy. A theocracy is when God is their ruler, and he had judges. The judges were the ones that would give God's words and God's direction and God's spiritual guidance to the people. He was the direct voice piece to the people from God, Jehovah God. And that was a theocracy. Well, the Israelites do what a lot of us do. And you see this over and over and over again in Scripture, way back even in Genesis. What happened? Adam and Eve could eat every fruit on every tree in the whole garden. And what did they do? The one tree, the only tree, we want that one too. Of course, the devil kind of spurred that along there with the serpent. And they took from the one tree and sin entered the world. And the Israelites started looking around and go, well, they have a king, and they have a king, and they have a king. We don't have a king. God's holding out on us. That big bully God, if he loved us, he'd give us a king like everybody else has. And we're going to see this book go from a theocracy to a monarchy, which is when you have a human king that rules things. Now, the beginning of this book is on the life of Samuel. So there's 31 chapters in this book. We're going to break it up into four parts and have little breaks in between. The first section is on Samuel, the man, a man who heard from God. And that's in chapters 1 through chapter number 9, I believe. Let me look at my notes here. Through chapter 9. Then we get into Saul, 
the theocracy ends and the monarchy begins. And we see Saul, a man who ran from God, and that's in chapters number 10 through chapter 15. And then we're going to break into two parts, David, a man after God's own heart, and that's chapter 16 through chapter 31. So I want to encourage you, start reading it. Get in this. Let it just immerse yourself in the word. Learn from it. Write notes down. Send me texts or emails if you have questions. And we're going to walk through this journey of 1 Samuel together, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. You know, every family has secrets. Um, today's message is called Family Secrets. Every fa- in fact, I, when I met my wife, she had a secret. I thought she was rich and found out that her family wasn't rich. I always tease her about that. Now, we have secrets. Some of our secrets are embarrassing. Like, hey, my family, you know, most men in my family, no, this isn't true. I could show you if you really want to see. Have six toes uh, on one foot. Uh, You know, that can be this kind of weird type of thing. Again, I have five on each. It's not one of mine. I'm using that as just simply an example. But you might have a physical abnormality. You might have some, you know, challenges that your family has these certain uh, uh, quirks that they have, you know. My family laughs the same way, or my family, man, you know what? It could be the most serious thing, and in nervousness, they all just start laughing at the most inappropriate times. That happens. And then we have the family secrets that we don't want anybody to find out about. I saw a sign in a store one time, remember kids, when we have company, we're normal. I thought, I need that for my family. Nobody's really normal, are they? But we all have secrets. Some we don't mind sharing, and some we really don't want anybody to know. That's why, you know how it is, somebody, my kids used to ask this all the time when we would clean the house, are we having company? Like we never would clean the house any other time. But that's one of those, what, what, why do we want to, why, why do we not people coming in? Because we want everybody to think that we're like Martha Stewart and everything is in its place, right? That's really not the reality. Whether our secrets are deep and dark, or just funny, or quirky. We all have secrets. And you know what God decided to do here? Was he decided to let you and I take, before we see who Samuel is, we find out why he is who he is. And we get to peel back and go a little further back, and we get to see a picture of the family that Samuel came from. And that's what we're going to cover today. The reason I didn't read the scripture is because I didn't want to have to deal with all the names. So that's why I gave it to Eric there. So we have the names taken care of there. But there's a lot we can learn here from even the first few verses. Now, in that passage there, we see a few things. We see that um, Elkanah is the father. We see his family line there. And we find out a couple of different things about him. Now, interestingly, where they lived in Ramah, it's a longer name there. That's the only time Ramah is extended to that point um, in the scriptures. But Ramah is the name of the town. Ramah was about five miles north of Jerusalem. Now, that might seem close, but you got to realize there was no planes, trains, or automobiles there. It was donkey or foot. So five miles away, usually a little on the treacherous side, that they lived away from things. We also know, as we investigate here, that, that uh, um, Samuel's father, Elkanah, was uh, from the Kohathite um, background, which were Levitical. So Samuel's dad, Elkanah, was a Levite. Now, the Levites would be kind of like deacons are to the elders today. They were the people that did the -the behind-the-scenes stuff for the priests. They set up uh, things within the tabernacle. They would help out the priests in whatever ways they needed it. They were kind of the the guys that did the hands and feet type stuff so the priests could focus on the other aspects of ministry that God gave to them. 
So he came from Levitical. We know by reading this that he was a very religious man. He, like many, decided every year they made sure that they would go down and, and uh, celebrate the feasts, to go down and celebrate the sacrifices. They made that a practice. We know that he had to be a man of some wealth. He had two wives. Most men could only afford one. A dowry was always involved. He had two wives. There had to be a little bit of money that was involved there in their family. That's all about what we get at least as a snapshot of Elkanah. Now we also see here that Elkanah was a man in the middle. He was a man in the middle. Now let me just take a moment to say that the I really believe that one of the greatest sins that the Old Testament we see unveiled that we don't quite get the full ramifications of is polygamy. Polygamy is the uh, practice of having more than one wife. That was never, ever, 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 has never, will never be God's plan. God's plan is one man and one woman. That's his plan. That's what's stated in Scripture over and over and over again. But polygamy was adopted because of the culture. Remember we talked about how, well, they have a king, and they have a king, and they have a king. Well, they have multiple wives, and they do, and they do, and they do. And the Israelites adopted the same thing. So here's Elkanah. He's in the middle. He's in a cultural situation. And I believe Elkanah, by reading the scriptures, was a godly man, but he embraced an aspect of the culture that was devastating, polygamy. Now, I have often said this, even from the pulpit, as I read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I really think that we struggle in our culture, especially with our great sin being busyness. I think that busyness has become a reason why we can't go to church regularly, why we can't serve, why we can't do discipleship, why we can't have people over, why we can't give. We are so busy with so many things that are even good at times, but they're not best at what God has. And as a pastor, it grieves my heart to see how busyness has become the motto of our world, even adopted by us as Christians, and that's the reason why we can't do the things that God clearly says we're commanded to do. Well, I'm too busy. Well, then we need to be willing to make some life changes so that we aren't in a situation where we're just too busy if God says we're supposed to do something. Now, now this isn't in a legalistic, dictatorial way. But I'm saying overall, we need to be a people that when God says it in his word, that we don't decide immediately all the reasons why we can't do it and that God will understand. No, God laid this out for you and I to take and embrace and if we'll do it his way, even when it's difficult and hard, it will all turn out in the right way. When we deviate from that, we get ourselves into trouble. Now, kids that are here today, you know how that can happen. Mom and dad tell you not to do certain things. How many of you kids here, your parents have never have told you, don't go running out into the street to chase a ball? Any kids here have been told that? Okay, well, if you haven't, I'm telling you, don't run out in the street and chase a ball. And some of you are thinking, my parents have told me so many things. I don't even remember all the things they told me. Now, why do you think your parents tell you that? What are the kids? Why do your parents not want you to run out in the street after the ball? Yes, Mr. Nathan. What? Yes, they do not want you splattered all over the street. It's really difficult because then they have to scrape you off and it's messy and all that. Maybe that's not the reason. They don't want you to because they love you and they want you protected. So they go, don't run out in the street. Now, I know when I was a kid, I'm like, well, I already looked, though. But I was more worried about my ball disappearing than I really was worried about the cars. If your parents haven't told you this, kids, don't, you know, the, the don't stuff, you need to make sure you listen to the don't stuff and don't think, well, everybody else might not be able to do that, but I can. And we as adults do the same thing. Well, God might have said it, but I really don't have to do it. 
God understands how busy my job is. God understands how busy my family is. God understands how busy this is. And that's our reason why we can't do the things God lays out. And I believe our culture has adopted busyness as our polygamy. That's not a theological statement. That's my personal opinion on things. But we do know that in the Old Testament, they adopted polygamy. It was against God's command, and it always led to heartache. It always led to difficulty. So what happens as a result of that? He has two wives, one named Hannah, one named Penina, or Penina, I think that's right. Now, these two wives, now more than likely, Hannah, because she's listed first, was the first wife. She was found to not be able to have children. Then, then more than likely, that was at the point where Elkanah married his second wife, Penina. He had both of his wives there because he wanted to make sure that he had children. We find out in verse number two that she, Hannah had no children. We see in verse 3 how every year they would go up and they would go to the city and worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. We talked about that and with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas that were the priests of the Lord. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he gave portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. So now we get into a situation here. We see Penina is a mother in pain. God gave her children, but she didn't give her, he didn't give her her husband's heart. Why? Once again, you can't have a one-flesh relationship with two people. You can't give half of your heart to one and half to another. It doesn't work. And you see, I think, as you read this, I'm not saying that Elkanah hated Penina, but he didn't give his whole heart to her because you see the way he treated Hannah. We could say, well, he treated her out of pity or other things, but if you read the words there, you can see there were certain favors given to Hannah. She was given a double portion. She was given extra attention. You can even see uh, Elkanah's frustration. And well, you know, I know you can't have kids, but man, I mean, aren't I enough? You see the strife that's there. All this time is Hannah is being pined over, adored by her husband. Penina sits there. And has the kids and wants her husband to be so excited and to embrace her, not just her children, that she does what many people do in pain. And this is not an original statement with me, but hurt people hurt people. So what does Penina do? Rather than taking it to the Lord and going, Lord, would you work this out? She says, I'm going after, the Bible even says here, her enemy. <laughs> Hannah became her enemy, her arch rival. And what did she do? She hit on the area that she knew would hurt the worst, and she went over to the fact that you can't have kids, but I can. I'm sure every time she had a child, she'd rub it in Hannah's face again, over and over and over again, something that Hannah had no control over, God had chosen to shut her womb, and yet Penina, rather than acting in any kind of love and care, took it and made this direct attack on her rival. And folks, there's going to be times in our life when you deal with pain. And in this situation with Penina, there was really nothing else she could do to get her husband's favor. He had to make that choice. But what pains do you deal with? What aches do you have? For some of you, it is the fact that you don't have or can't have children. For others of you, there are other pains that are involved. Aches in your heart. Maybe in relationship to a marriage, or, or wishing you were involved in a marriage, or something with your children, or something with your job, or something with your health, that you just think, Lord, would you please? But that would be the right response rather than what her response is, is to get angry and take it out on others who had no control over the situation. This was a mother that was in pain. She had her children, 
but she didn't have the heart of her husband. And as was read earlier, we see then Hannah. Now, Hannah was in pain too. In fact, we find her not a mother in pain, but a woman with a burden. A woman with a burden. She so desperately wanted a child. She prayed, and God said no. She pleaded, and God said no. And so what did she do? As she was affected by the barbs of the comments by Penina, she cried, she wept, she didn't eat, she was in anguish. But you notice you'll never see once in here that she went back at Penina. She didn't go back on the attack. She didn't go to Elkanah that we see in Scripture and go, you need to tell her to shut her mouth. You need to tell her to keep quiet. You need to put her out. Not once. You don't see a vindictiveness. And believe me, just like us, I'm sure she struggled with that. Man, would you just take her out of my life, Lord? You don't even see that here. What do you just see here? Say, Lord, I'd really, really, really love a child. And God, if you give me a child, I'm going to give him back to you. Not, not in this just kind of generic way. Lord, you know, my kid's yours. I pray that every single one of my kids that have been born, I said, Lord, they're yours. That's a hard thing as a parent to pray. Release them. Lord, whatever you choose to do, where you send them to go, whatever struggles they're going to go through, I want to be there the best I can for them. But Lord, they're really ultimately yours, so I just need to give them back to you anyways. But she physically gave him back to the Lord when he was weaned and a couple years old. She never saw him on a consistent basis again. You can imagine, moms, how hard that would be. Some of you have a hard time when your kids sleep over somebody's house. You're the ones that are checking all the time. Camp is like, woo especially the first time. I don't know, a whole week? Can you imagine when you only see your son a couple times a year? Wow. Difficult. Struggles. But Hannah, with her burden, never once went on the offensive. Folks, when you deal with pain, do not ever take it out on those around you. Take it to the Lord. The Lord knows. It's not like he missed this one. I don't know why you have the pain you have. I don't know the purpose behind it. It may be because of events in your life. It may be because God just wanted to be glorified. It may be a result of sin. There's lots of reasons for that. But go to God. He's the one with the answers. And by the way, sometimes his answers are you got to bear it. God could have said no to Hannah. He chose not to in this situation. But we know for years, because multiple children were born to Penina, she was barren. So she goes on one of the times they went down to the, to the, fest, to the uh, probably the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place at this time. And so she goes into the, to the place of worship. And as she goes in there, she prays and is so overwhelmed by the burden of her heart that the priest that's there, Eli, he's walking around doing his duty and he sees this lady who looks like she's drunk. I don't know if you've ever seen a drunk person before. My wife and I one time were on a flight from... America to Ireland. We were doing a survey trip for a missions trip that we were going to take with our youth group. And uh, we were, there was three flights. Now, I don't know if you've ever flown overseas, but you're talking like hours in a plane, not like little minutes in a plane. And we got in there, and I was sitting, I was sitting in the middle. My wife was sitting by the window, and we had this really nice lady sitting by us. And then she got up and moved, and this drunk guy, who you could hear during most of the plane ride, decided he was going to come sit by me. And he wasn't just a little drunk. He reeked of alcohol. And he got in my face, too. Hey! And he somehow, I know this is hard for you all to believe, but my loud voice must have carried. 
And he somehow heard that I was a pastor in the conversations I had with this woman. I know, shocking, isn't it? Shocking. I was just thinking the other day, though, praise the Lord, about two months ago, I didn't have a voice. And I was doing elementary chapel this week, and I thought, man, I can yell and scream, and God's decided to allow me to do that again. So if it's annoying to you, I apologize, but I'm glad I have it back. So this guy comes, and he sits next to me. He reeks. I always tease my wife. Her support system was turning her head and looking out the window. It's like, thank you, dear. Appreciate that. And this guy went on one extreme telling me about how sinful he was, and on the other extreme, how he wanted to repent of his sin, and he was just completely out of his mind. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, why didn't someone stop him from drinking this much, and why did he have to come and sit by me? And I tried to share truth with him, but I'm pretty sure he probably never remembered anything I said to him. Hopefully the Spirit of God used it. You know what? Man alive. When you think of that situation, and you see somebody that's inebriated, um, and I've seen lots of crazy things with drunk people, you definitely go, something's going on there. And so Eli goes, yep, looks like a drunk lady. Oh, man, here I got to go. I don't know about you, but nobody ever likes to go and confront the person. But, I mean, they're in the temple of all places. Yeah, I mean, come on. Can't you do it outside? I mean, get drunk and go sit somewhere else. And he goes over, you know, excuse me, ma'am. You got to stop drinking, and I, you're drunk, and you really need to cut this out. I mean, you're in the house of God. And Hannah immediately, Eli, no, I'm just in anguish. I was praying to God quietly to myself. And Eli was a priest with a wrong perspective. He made a judgment call that was inaccurate. Anybody here ever judged a situation wrong? Oh, come on. Wow, I'm a handful of us. The rest of you are lying, I'm pretty sure. I do it way too often. You know, we do it in all kinds of things. Somebody, the way they drive, we make a judgment call, right? Oh, man. Not usually in the positive, by the way. You know, if somebody's taking too long in a restaurant, we make a judgment call. We make lots of judgment calls. Why did that person do that? They're an idiot. Now, we would hate for all the people that called us idiots throughout the day, wouldn't we? We make these judgment calls, and Eli made a judgment call. He had a wrong perspective, and even as the man of God, he thought this woman was drunk, not even just going, going hey, man, what's wrong with you? Or what's going on in your life? Or can I help you? He made a judgment call. Folks, be careful about the judgment calls you make. Ask questions before you make attacks. Get that? Ask questions before you make attacks. Or just pray about it. Lord, you know the situation. I don't. I don't. Help me to give them the grace I want to be given as I go through things in life. And Eli went over, and then he heard the heart of Hannah. I just want a baby. And if I get a baby, I want to give him back to God. I want him to serve God. By the way, parents, I encourage all of you, pray that prayer daily. I just want my kids to love God and love others. That's my daily prayer, folks. Let's make that all of our prayer for the kids of our church. Lord, help our kids to love you and love others. You know what? Everything else doesn't matter. Whatever kind of degree they get or don't get, whatever sport they play or don't play, it doesn't really matter. None of that. If they love God and love others, it's all the rest is going to work out. And Eli goes, I hear your heart. I hear your burden. I hear your struggle. And I'm telling you, God's going to give you a child. And I love what it says next. Let's jump in what we've already heard read earlier. 
verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. When we see God do something incredible and powerful, it's awesome we can step back and go, thank you, Lord, and rejoice. When I counsel people, I always tell them, in the midst of your struggles, celebrate the victories. She didn't even know when she was going to have the child, but she knew God was going to give her a child, and she rejoiced in that. She rejoiced in the future promise that she knew God would fulfill, and that's why she could eat again, and that's why she was no longer sad, because she knew that God was going to fulfill what the priest had said to her. And then it says that they rose, verse 19, they worshiped before the Lord, they went back, Elkanah knew Hannah, the Lord remembered her, and in due time, verse 20, Hannah conceived, and she bore a son, and called his name Samuel. For she said, listen to this phrase, I've asked for him from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We all have secrets. They're family secrets. For the Elkanah clan, the Elkanah clan, there was continual strife that was taking place. There was a woman who couldn't have a child that was given a child. There was things people didn't understand and didn't know, just like our families have struggles and deals with, deal with. But we can see God work through the biggest mess of a family situation ever, as long as we keep our eyes on the Lord. Samuel came from that background. He had some great godly heritage there, and he had some difficult things that were back in his heritage, but we see that he made a choice as we'll look further and pursued God with his whole heart. So I have a few takeaways for you. What will be your legacy? What's going to be your legacy? What is legacy? Legacy is the story that you build to leave to the next generation. What do you want to be? Do you want to be known as a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt and uncle that, man, they loved God? Man, if I had a problem, they'd listen. Man, you know, they took everything to prayer. Even when they messed up, they asked for forgiveness yeah, yeah, that's, that's the kind of example I want to leave, the kind of legacy I want to leave. Folks, we're all leaving a legacy. And you don't want to leave a legacy that you get to the end of your life and all you can say is, yeah, I was busy. I did really well at work because I was busy. Did really well in other things because I was busy. But did you do the stuff that God says in his word is what we're supposed to do? Our identity is not in our job or our work ethic or our family situation it's in that we are redeemed children of God if we have a relationship with him. How do you handle conflict? Are you a penina? Man, I'm going to go after the person. I'm going to hurt. I hurt. I'm going to hurt other people. I'm going to tear into them. I'm going to dig at them. I'm going to make sure they feel the pain that I feel. Or are you going to take a Hannah approach? Lord, I'm not going to attack. I'm going to take it to you. Lord, I know you got a purpose and a plan. I don't understand it but I know you're going to take care of it. And how are your family secrets affecting you? Say, man, everybody in my family, they all have tempers. Well, then, are you going to be the generation that breaks that? Yeah, none of my family love God. Well, are you going to be the one that decides to change that? Well, you know what? There was None of my family really got into the Word. None of my family served others. None of my family did this. Or my, all of my family did these things. How are you going to let it affect you? I love what Joshua said. When he was asked what he was going to do, he said, 
hey, are you going to serve the Lord or not? And I love Joshua's response. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, kids, at your age to say now, Lord, I want to serve you. Help me to do that every day. Right now, it's by obeying mom and dad, doing the best you can in school, trying to be kind to others. There's things you can do. Adults, what can we do to live out the legacy God wants us to have? Today's a new day. I love the verse. His mercies are new every day. So how now am I going to make a difference for him? Samuel gives us a great intro here. And I'm excited as we continue on in this journey, what we're going to see as we unpack Samuel's life and then lead to Saul and then also lead to David. It's going to be a great journey. I hope you join us all along the way. hope you glean some great things that will impact your life permanently. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the message that you've allowed us to listen to, Lord. Help it to impact us powerfully. Help us, Lord, even now to prepare ourselves for this by reading Samuel. Lord, by thinking through today and how we're going to take the message and apply it to our lives in real ways. Lord, we want to be a church that's transformed, not because of our music, our tech, our nursery, our children, our youth, but because the Word of God is primary and that we challenge each other daily to live according to it. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.